Today's episode is with doctors Katie Smith and Heather Wilson. It was recorded at 2.30 p.m. on April 3rd. With the news surrounding COVID-19, we wanted to give you a heads up that some things may have changed by the time you listen to this. For instance, as I am recording this intro, the CDC has put out a recommendation that all Americans consider wearing cloth face coverings in public. We appreciate Dr. Smith and Wilson for taking time out of their busy schedules to talk to us. And with that, let's start the show. Welcome to the Unafraid Podcast, hosted on the OKC First Podcast Network. My name is Zach Lucero, and I am the youth and creative pastor here at OKC First. And on the couch, yet again, he may be napping, but don't you dare change, change the channel. God! Shoot. Oh, See? Well. Here we go. It's because I wrote it. I, I it's hate mean, is the it's reason. Not, no, it's not. It's totally it's mean. mean. Let's just I'm leave it. To, Let's just leave it. No, what? No, absolutely not. I, I'm going to redo it, but I'll probably leave this all in. On the couch, yet again, he may be napping, but don't you dare change the channel. <laughs> Senior Pastor John Mendendorf. <laughs> I still want to advocate that we would change the name at least for the time being to just the only mildly afraid but not yet panicking podcast. That's right. We're still not panicking. We are kind of afraid, but but not totally. But it's a healthy amount. Yeah, of yeah, it's a healthy fear. afraid. Yeah, it's okay. right. We're good now. But today we have two guests joining us uh, this afternoon from space from the internet. We have uh, first is Dr. Katie Smith. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing great. And then also we have Dr. Heather Wilson. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you. It's interesting, I think, but it's interesting because between the four of us, we have two uh, MDs here. Wow. Degrees. We really, <laughs> we've really raised the bar. Yeah, we have. This podcast. Yeah. We are, <laughs> I don't feel qualified to be here anymore. <laughs> um, so uh, can each of you begin by telling us uh, what exactly you do and your favorite type of cookie? Because we need to, we just need to, you know, balance things out because you guys have some lengthy titles uh, that just seem to be a string of acronyms. So uh, we'll start with Heather. Uh, tell us what do you do and, um, and what's your favorite cookie? I am Heather Wilson. I am a pediatric physician. So I take care of uh, any human being from birth until age 25, technically. Um, and currently I am working part-time at the University of Oklahoma in the, in the children's hospital. I do some inpatient, some outpatient. And then the other part of the time I stay home with my four children. And my favorite cookie, man, I might have to go with peanut butter cookie with a Reese's peanut butter cup dropped in the middle. Whoa. Fancy. I like that. All right. Dr. Katie Smith. I'm Katie Smith. Uh, I am a practicing OBGYN. So I take care of all ages of humans as long as they're female. So I also work at the University of Oklahoma, uh, where I have the privilege of uh, having some leadership of my group there, um, which has made a pandemic just fun and furious. Uh, favorite cookie? I'm gonna agree completely with Heather. Peanut butter and chocolate, and the one with the the if you put a Hershey's kiss in it or a peanut butter cup, it doesn't matter. I'll take it. We got virtual it. high five on that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. <laughs> I love it when a second opinion is just the same opinion. It's awesome. Um, that's a little doctor humor. Uh, so I'm just gonna keep moving on. <laughs> so I've been spending. It's a good sign that what you're gonna hear from us today is like you know good information. Yeah. <laughs> that is good. Crushing it so far. Yes, I know. I've spent I've spent the last three weeks very close to John. Well, I mean, within six feet of John. No, uh, outside of six feet. Out. Sorry, that's what I meant. Outside yeah. of six feet of John. Yeah. But within the same vicinity of each other, and I think your dad jokingness is rubbing off on me. You're welcome. I think the quality of my jokes have gone down. Nope. Maybe up. I don't yes. Know. So we want to start off, uh, and this can be to either of you, but um, can you help listeners understand uh, in the midst of COVID-19, what, what is the life of a medical professional during a pandemic? Um, I'll go first, if that's okay with Heather. Um I would say that this is probably the hardest season of my life professionally, which is saying a lot. 
um, when you know what you're up against, you can make a plan. Um, so I can go into work. If I'm working on call, I can look at our, all of our patients that are in the labor unit and sort of anticipate their needs and make plans for that. In a pandemic, you're not really sure when it's coming or how bad it's going to be. And so you essentially have to plan for a worst case scenario and decide when to pull the trigger on certain things. So the other thing is that the information changes from day to day. Um, and so what we talk about today, what Heather and I talk about today may be different than what we would recommend a week from now or a month from now, um, cause the details are just emerging. So, and then tons of new routines, scheduling, uh, you know, uh, making sure that I change my clothes before I come home from work. So I don't bring home any gross germs. Uh, don't want to bring the coronavirus to Pastor Jason. Um, and then for that. Also another, all sorts of other just uh, changes at work, adapting to how do you see patients when you really don't want them to be in the healthcare environment if they don't have to be. I would agree with a lot of what Katie has said. I think from the aspect of my work, what has changed a lot is, uh, you know, as a, a pediatrician, a lot of what I do is reassurance uh, of for parents and families and kids as well. Um, I think in the, you know, in an environment of pandemic that, that there's just a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of unknown. And for people who are not familiar with the healthcare system and with healthcare in general, I think that that fear is exponentially greater. And so in addition to taking care of my patient's physical health and trying to give the most accurate information that we have, uh, it's a lot of caring for mental health as well. Let me, let me ask you guys about that. As care providers and recognizing probably, Katie, you too at times are counted on to be the person who is not so afraid that you're paralyzed. I, I want to have two questions for each of you. Are you afraid? And if so, how do you navigate your fear when you're in positions of leadership like you both are? I am not afraid for myself. Um, I think that you start to recognize when you go into medicine that you just put yourself in vulnerable places, you know, um, every time you go into work. And so, but I am afraid for our community um, because I'm afraid that things will get worse. Um, in fact, they almost certainly will get worse. Um, I think when you go to work, your job, my job really is to reassure people on how to, number one, take care of themselves as best they can. So how do you keep yourself safe? Um, how do you keep your family safe? Who do you know who to listen to? So giving them, you know, uh, the right resources and the right reassurance. Um, and then also figuring out how to help them uh, practice different mindfulness things or encouraging them to exercise or whatever it is that's going to kind of take their mind off of their fears and stresses. But I think, um, and Heather can um, speak to this as well, when you're a healthcare professional, you sort of get up and do what you have to do. Um, in the back of your mind, I think fear sits there, but it's certainly kind of outweighed by all the other responsibilities that you have. Yes, I, I think that's true. I think one thing that you learn in medicine is that healthcare providers don't get sick days, really. Um, you show up and you do what you have to do and, you know, you you are smart and, and try to keep your patients healthy and try to make, make decisions, you know, if you are ill or not feeling well, you make decisions um, with the best interest of your patient in mind. Um, but we're there and we are doing everything that we can. Right now, everything that we can is not always with a lot of information behind us. Right now, I think that we are um, kind of flying by the seat of our pants and in some ways. Am I, 
am I fearful? Am I scared? Not necessarily, as Katie was saying, I'm not necessarily fearful of the virus itself, but I am taking a lot of precautions to protect those around me because I do think that the more evidence that we gather and the more, more data that is compiled, the more we are learning that there are certainly subsets of our population who are at great risk. Um, there are a lot of outliers that, you know, there, there has been mortality for a young, healthy person, but I think those are the exception rather than the rule. I think that, that the groups that we have identified are those that are older, especially, you know, in the seventh and eighth decade of their life, uh, and those who are at baseline immunocompromised. So those are the people that the decisions I'm making in my personal life and in my professional life, those are the people for whom I'm making those decisions. So, okay, I, I do not want to engage the, the listeners out there who might uh, be prone to conspiracy theories, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to engage those people, but I am curious uh, if you guys might have an answer to this question. It With all of the, the news, and we're recording this on April 3rd, and uh, it's only been... We've only been in this for three weeks or so. We've only been in this this mess for three weeks or so locally. And it's only really been acknowledged, let's say, for about three weeks or so here locally by our by our leadership. But here in the last 48 hours, uh, our governor in particular has changed his tune and tone. And there is a, a lot more being said and a lot more precautions being taken. Still not as many as I would like, frankly. Um, cause we haven't gotten that specific shelter in place and I wish we would actually, but it does seem like, uh, there is more gravity to the situation now in terms of its tone than there was two weeks ago. Do you guys sense that? First of all, if you do, why do you think that is? And the third question, this is where I might engage my conspiracy theorist. What, what are, what are we not being told yet? Hmm. You know, Heather and I had a discussion earlier this week. We as a people, not just America, but I think just human beings, we are not very good at preparing for something that we can't see the effects of. So we see that in medicine. So someone has high blood pressure, but they feel fine. Why should I take my blood pressure medicine? It's not hurting me. I feel fine. Well, what we want them to know is 10 years later, you're not going to feel fine if you have uncontrolled hypertension. It's going to affect your risk for dementia and heart disease and all of these other things. Um, it's the thing we see with climate change. You go outside, the world seems fine. Why should you care about climate change? You can't see it happening. So I think when it comes to something like COVID-19, you know, it was this far off thing that was happening to other people. And I think just our nature is to think that's not going to happen here or it's not happening to someone that I know. Um, or someone who I have connection with. And I think the more that the pandemic grows locally, I think that um, most people that I know can say that they have, know someone who has been affected with the virus or even hospitalized. And as we see that death to a climb, that's a reality check. Those are, you know, the mayor was on today naming names. That's 38 people as of 2.53 on April 3rd who have lost their lives. You know, they're not getting anything back. Um, so I think that we aren't very good at accepting the reality if we can't see it, if it doesn't impact us. What are we not being told? I think we're being told, if you listen to the right sources, everything that we know. Um, you know, uh, and there's a lot that we don't know. And there's a lot that we will have to kind of, like Heather said, sort of pivot and make different decisions based on information that we get. Um, but I think a lot of, I'm hopeful that a lot of uh, leadership, especially in healthcare, I think we've been willing to say we are operating on the best evidence we have today. Okay. So. That's good. Yeah. And I would just, <clears throat> I, I agree with what Katie said, and I forgot all three of your questions, but I would just like to reiterate um, 
like Katie said, if you listen to the right sources, I think you're going to get good information. So a lot of you are like, what are those right sources? I think the WHO, the World Health Organization, the CDC, um, those are really good sources of factual information. You please, I, I would encourage people to give the medical community grace. We are working as fast as we can. We're doing the best we can with the information that we have. Um, if you look over the medical history of our country over the last hundred years, you will see that guidelines have changed, opinions have changed, methods of, of practicing medicine have changed, and those have changed as we gather more information and make educated decisions. In the, in the time of a crisis, a healthcare crisis, a pandemic, sometimes we really just have to make the, the decision that we think is the least bad. I know that's terrible yeah. grammar. No, it never- makes sense acknowledge being good at it. Um, but sometimes, you know, we have taken an oath as, as physicians, I can't speak for any other field out there that's, that's, um, you know, giving information, but as physicians, we have taken an oath to do no harm. And that is, that's what we're doing to the best of our ability. We're not trying to hide information from anyone. We're not trying to make this pandemic seem better or seem worse. We are trying to be factual and we are trying to be realistic. So we, we here at OKC first have taken some precautions uh, over the past few weeks from that first Sunday that we ended up canceling to now we're doing online stuff we are adhering to the, you know, 10 people or less rule. What, in your eyes and from what you have seen, what have we, the church, but also maybe even Oklahoma as a whole, like what, what have we done right so far? Heather, you want to go oh, on this one? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, doing a lot of the online social gathering is, is great. Um for, as, as far as our local church, uh, I love some of the the different. Um, I don't podcasts aren't right, guys. Technology is not my thing, but like the Zoom at two meetings, those are a lot of fun um, and very informative. We are doing the services. We have all of our Easter and Lenten services coming up that are all going to be online, and I love that we are still actively engaging socially, not only the adults, but as well as the kids, doing some of the Zoom chats for the kids um, and story time on Sunday morning. Is, I, I know my children really enjoy it. So I, I think those are things that we have done well as a church, as a community. Um, I think, you know, trying to, to gear our society right now towards essential businesses, which I think we all have a, a little bit of a different opinion as what is essential and not. Um, but just really trying to drive home the point to people in Oklahoma City that this is not a four-week spring break or an early summer break. This is this is really a legitimate thing um, that we need to pay attention to and, and really need to heed the warnings. Agreed on all fronts. Um, you guys are doing some really creative and important things to keep people connected. Um, I think uh, shout out to Mayor David Holt. Uh, he's dropped mic today and just was very passionate about stay at home and uh, don't take risks. So, um, and I think that we have supported the right people and the right words uh, to say that we are wholeheartedly in agreement with that. Yeah, I, uh, you know, even I, I would be shocked at this point if we if there are people who are listening to this who don't know this information yet. But could you just from a from a physician uh, perspective and we'll, we'll go with Katie, why why is it important for uh, the average person, um, even if they're not immunocompromised or above that that age threshold? Why is it important that we limit the amount of times maybe we go to the grocery store or, or the amount of things that we do, like what, what is important about that? Yeah. So this virus is depending on us to transmit it from person to person. It needs a host. And when it's done with me, it wants to move to you. Um, and that's how it thrives. So anytime that we are in communication or in close proximity of anyone who carries the virus and they may be asymptomatic, then we are at risk of either transmitting it to that to someone else, if it's us, or having it transmitted to us. You know, we have this no more than 10 people. Um, 10 is sort of a made up number, uh, you know, based on 
you know, in an, in an ideal world, you just say, everyone, don't leave your house, don't hang out with anyone else. But we know that people have to gather as businesses, um, church, things like that. So we're just trying to make that number as small as possible while being reasonable. Um, but we know more and more about this virus and how it's transmitted um, through droplets, which just talking uh, to another person, um, being in close proximity, it may be um, transmitted even through um, being very close in the same room. Lots of new evidence is coming out. So you just have to be really, really careful because if I say I'm young, I'm healthy, it's fine, then maybe I go and engage with someone at the grocery store and they pick up the virus and take it home to their immunocompromised family member. And that person may be in the hospital or end up dying from it. So you kind of have to think about not just your immediate family, but that ripple effect. So, you know, what is five sort of ripples away my effect on uh, my community with this virus? And every time that you say, well, I'm just going to go out for this, or I'm just going to do this, you really are putting someone at harm. It might not be yourself, but again, the virus is depend. It's it depends on us to be in proximity with it, one another to thrive. So, so Heather, what what could we do better? As I mean, I mean, it says on our outline a church, and but also, but really, just as a society, what what could what could our governments be doing better? Like, what could we as individuals be doing better um, with that information in mind? So I, I mean, I don't, hmm. <laughs> I'll be careful where I go with this. Um, I think one of the big things is, is staying home. You know, you're not staying home for you. You're staying home for everybody else. Um, I, you know, Brad and I have pulled our children out of daycare. Um, we are not really interact. We haven't seen his parents in three weeks uh, because they are at an at-risk population. We haven't seen his brother. Uh, he is at risk. And so... Um, you know, I, I think as I drive around, you know, I strap my children into their car seats and just roll the windows down for my own sanity to get out of the house. <laughs> I am shocked and amazed at the number of people that I see out and about at stores that are still open, um, at drive-thrus, um, even, even going to pick up food from restaurants, they come right to your window and they're not masked, they're not gloved. Um, I think those are really important things. Um, I understand that there is a, a shortage of medical supplies right now, but I think just really being intentional about not breathing on other people, not touching other people, and when and if you do, make sure that you're washing your hands. Anytime you come into the house, wash your hands. Um, anytime you fill up for gas, keep some hand sanitizer in your car and you know put a few squirts on your, on your hands after you touch the pump. Um, I think it's just a lot of intentionality and um, making sure that we are really doing our best to prevent the spread. You know, one thing that we have learned is that there are people who are infected who stay asymptomatic. Why? We don't know. There are people who are infected that as the, the natural progression of disease are infected and spreading infection for days before they develop symptoms. And so I think just remembering that you are not immune to this. You, you are not above this. You are not stronger than this. Um, at some point, the majority of us will contract this virus. Um, and the majority of us will probably get better and be okay. But the people with whom we interact, the people who still have to go to work, um, whether that is because their job is mandated or because they still need that money to put food on the table for their families, um, we need to be protecting them as well. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it very much does. Okay. Let's let's help some families in our church. Anyone who might be listening, you two with your um, with your knowledge of how this disease spreads, and and um, you know every time you said what you did, Katie about. This disease always needs a host. Whenever it's done with me, it moves on to the next person. It reminds me of my high school dating life. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But, oh but help me help help. Let's help one another here. What kinds of things are you guys doing at home 
like sanitization? What what is what is your go to move? We I think we have established and we'll keep saying it. Folks, stay at home. But even at home, it's important that we do some sanitizing and some cleaning. What are what are y'all's? Uh, what's your best? What are your best practices as it has to do with cleaning the the places that we live? Um, I would say anytime if you have to leave your house, um, you know, think about where you're going, like Heather said, and wash your hands after every encounter. Um, and for some of us, if you're going into an environment where you're seeing lots of people or interacting with lots of people, like in the healthcare environment, I think it's important to think of yourself as kind of a, you're bringing that home. So what can you do, mm. you know, yeah. and change everything in the washer, rinse off, wash my hands really good, things like that. Um, and then around the house, I think just, you know, cleaning all your surfaces and things like that. Really within your household, mostly what you're worried about is what you bring in and what you carry out. Um, so I think kind of routine practices of, um, you know, making sure that uh, surfaces are clean, washing your hands a ton. I mean, not touching your face. These are things that you don't think about until someone says, don't touch your face. And then all you want to do is touch your face. Right. Uh, I think we touch our face like 90 times a day on average or something. Um, so, uh, but I don't know that, you know, scouring your toilets or something is really going to help you. You know, I do think um, making sure that when you bring anything into the house, um, making sure that it's clean. The pastor loves to Lysol the mail before it comes in, which I love. So, because uh, someone's just handed it to to the front door. Um, so thinking about the things that come in and go out, you know, uh, a lot of recommendations on if you did get to go food, taking it out of those containers and putting on to clean plates, washing your hands, things like that. Um, so... Heather, um, right before you you answer this question, I'm going to throw another one. I'm going to add another one in there. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have, you know, I keep a little shopping list. And every time I have to go get something, I am always on the lookout for the sanitizing wipes, as long as I have the right ingredients and, and the other cleaning supplies that are in very short supply. So are you aware of some things that that might be household remedies for lack of a better term that we might be able to use to do some of that sanitizing? If we just, if we haven't been fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time to pick up some of the sanitizing cleaning supplies that are so scarce. Hmm. Off the top of my head. Um, I don't know any of the recipes. I think there are some that involve like vinegar, um, some, some that involves salt, um, you know, sun is a great sanitizer. So if you feel like your clothes or anything tangible has been infected, uh, probably not today, but maybe next week when it's sunny, you can toss it outside, you know, like in the old days, like hang up a clothesline with little clips. Um, but there, I mean, there are probably thousands of recipes that you could Google to look up how to sanitize something. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, just kind of like taking your shoes off before you walk through your house, that sort of thing. Um, in response to keeping an eye out and looking for supplies at the store, um, I mean, I think it really is kind of a luck of the draw. Like if they're, if it's there when you're there, yeah. you can grab some. One thing that I do have to remind myself, Katie and I were talking about this earlier, uh, when I go to the grocery store, uh, you know, I am in a position that if I see an extra thing of Lysol wipes or hand sanitizer or whatever, I can grab it, you know, even if it's not on my grocery list, even if I haven't budgeted that in. One thing I would, you know, just caution people is what Pastor John preaches always is the myth of scarcity. Um, when you go to the store and they're stocked with bread, you know, I, I mentally have to remind myself, I don't need three loaves of bread. I don't need 10 cases of toilet paper um, because there are a lot of people in our community who live paycheck to paycheck. They have one opportunity to go to the store once a week or once every other week. And when they go, they need those basic supplies. They need the opportunity 
um, or they need the access to Lysol wipes, hand sanitizer, that sort of thing. So always remember to buy um, sparingly, buy what you need. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it just remember that it's still being manufactured and they will get it to the stores. Um, so just trust the process there. Yeah. The toilet paper will never run out. <laughs> they keep making it, guys. That's true. <laughs> um, so how are you guys doing? How are you guys coping? How are you? I mean, I you, you guys described what it's like to be a medical professional and how, how crazy it seems like your your days have become. And so what what are you doing? Uh, we just asked you about how do you, you know, sanitize and stuff like that. But how do you how do you take care of yourselves? You know, so, I, you know, I think just as human beings, the things that we need, um, rest, exercise, uh, food, you know, a, a decent food. Um, I think the temptation in a time like this is to sleep in late, to uh, sit in front of the computer, in front of the TV, for kids to sit in front of video games and just kind of veg out all day because it's like, ooh. Wahoo, we're out of school. Like, this is great. Uh, we don't have to go to work. That's great. Um, but I think, you know, it doesn't have to be your typical routine, your typical schedule, but I think kind of trying to keep a very loose schedule throughout the day, eating three meals, getting outside, uh, getting some sort of movement, activity, exercise for your body. Um, and then just giving your mind a break, whether that is reading a book, whether that's, you know, rocking out to some music, whatever it is, just giving your mind a break from the intensity of this and, you know, the fact that it is in our face. Anytime you turn on the TV, anytime you scroll through social media, you're seeing updates about it. Um, put your phone away, focus on your family, call your friends that you haven't talked to in a while, do some real social connecting. Agreed. Yeah, I think for healthcare personnel, it is just mentally taxing um, every day. I told one of my friends, I feel like an, when you're an intern, every day you learn new rules, new information. Who do you trust? Who do you listen to? Oh, now the rules have changed. That is this, and it's very, Heather's nodding your head. It's so stressful. And that is this entire situation. I have an eight o'clock call, a four o'clock call meetings in between, trying to take care of patients and make right decisions in the midst of not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Um, and even when I'm not, you know, we've separated our workforce and work from home and work from the hospital so we can keep people healthy. And even when it's not my turn to be in the hospital, I told Jason, I just feel like I'm on call all the time, you know? So I think Heather mentioned kind of taking a break from that. For me, I try and get on my bike and exercise every day because I can't like do anything else. Uh, I'm just trying to stay alive and keep breathing uh, while I'm working out. And so my brain really can't do anything else. I think um, encouragement from others, not just for healthcare workers, but, you know, um, social distancing can feel isolating. So remembering to um, reach out to people, uh, sending them a note, um, texts of encouragement, things like that. Sometimes you just need a word from somebody that recognizes what you're doing or what you're going through. And that helps you take that next step forward. So, um, and yeah, I am very grateful for things like this that you can connect with people without being in the same room. Yeah. Okay. So you guys, and we have lots of nurses, uh, and we have some, some other folks who in, in other ways are on the front lines, but I, I want you to answer this as Katie and Heather, what can we do for you guys? What, what can we as a church, um, how can we help you guys? We will, pray for you and check on you. What else can we do? I think the, the most encouraging thing to me is when the church listens to medical professionals. When we say we as the church know a lot about Jesus and 
the Bible and all sorts of things. But we rely on professionals to give us advice on what to do. And then, like Heather said, giving us grace. But I think as a healthcare professional, it is rewarding to see people who you can help because you have used your skill and your mind to help them. And I think it's, I don't know, for me, I think that's the most helpful thing or encouraging thing is to see our church take precautions and follow the right leads and, you know, encourage things that are medically sound. That's good. That's helpful. Heather, what can we do for you? You know, it's a, it's a hard time. I think as the, the body of Christ, we want to do, we want to physically do an act of service. And I think that we are just in a really unique situation right now where that's not possible. You, I, I mean, no offense. I don't really want you coming to bring me a meal. I, I don't want you watching my children, not be, not because I'm scared of you, but because I don't know what I'm bringing home from the hospital that my children might give to you. Okay, hang on. I'm going to write that down right quick. Do not take meal to Wilson's. Got it. But in six months, I'm going to change my tune, okay. guys, okay? Um, so please, let and, – and because I'm a woman, I get to, right? Yep. Um, so I, I think that it's really hard for us as, as the body of Christ to find ways to step in. And even as someone in the healthcare field, I think right now it's hard for me to even tell you what we need um, because we are just so – focused kind of one track, one track mind on, on how we need to take care of patients and that sort of thing. So I think prayer is huge. Maybe dropping a note to people just saying like, Hey, you know what? We're thinking of you. We know that you were out there and you're doing the best you can. We know that you're exhausted. Um, and just keeping in mind that, that our minds, like Katie was saying a minute ago, they never turn off. Even when we're home, we are worried about our patients. We're worried about what's going on at the hospital. Um, we are constantly replaying interactions that we've had with patients during the day, wondering if we, if we, you know, really um, communicated the right message, communicated clearly. Um, and so there, there's just a lot of mental burden on us uh, for people like my husband and some of the others in our church that I know of. Some of them are also small business owners on top of being a healthcare provider. Yeah. Uh, so that's an, an added stress, um, not only for them, but I know, you know, for Brad, it's a lot of how do I help my employees through this? Um, so there are, there's just, there's a lot going on in our heads as healthcare providers during this time. Um, tangibly, I, there's not a lot that, that you can do um, with, with, our physical distancing guidelines, um, but just letting people know that that you're thinking of them, that, um, you know, it's, it's a tough situation, but as everyone is saying all the time, we're in this together. So. Do you guys, do you each have all the protective equipment that you need? And if, and if someone at home has a couple of masks, is it, does it do any good to, to bring them to you or bring them to the church so that we can bring them to you or, or how would that work? If you have PPE, not PP and E, which was <laughs> a lot of papers on TV, um, if you have PPE, you can do several things with it. Um, you could bring it to the church if that's most convenient, but most hospitals have um, donation sites. So I know that like OU Medicine has a donation site you can bring PPE. We actually um, just adopted a mask everyone policy. So even cloth masks, we're using this for patients and visitors. Um, the uh, Oklahoma State Department of Health um, has a PPE drop-off site as well. Um, and that was uh, advertised in the uh, mayor's kind of press conference that he just did. So lots of places where you can donate it. Um, you know, uh, do we have what we need? Uh, I would say we have a minimum of what we need. Uh, in an ideal world, we would function with a lot more, you know, 
that's not unique to Heather and I's circumstances. I think every hospital and every medical community is struggling with, you know, what is the best choice? Um, what is the next right thing to do? And I think PP is just part of that where, you know, I made sure everyone on my team has the right kind of mask. But, you know, in an ideal world, they would have that right kind of mask that they could change over and over again. And we don't have that um, through no fault of anyone's. Um, but that are there are definitely ways if you are hoarding PPE at home, you can unload it. So... <laughs> Okay, that's good. That's helpful because I, I I have been asked that like what can we do? Because um, I know there's a couple of movements out there to make masks, and I, my suspicion is that the masks that are being made, and I may be wrong about this, but I'm uh, my suspicion is that they won't meet medical standards that would allow them to be used where you guys are. Am I right about that? Or are the like the 405 mask makers? Are they making are they making the kinds of masks that you guys could? could wear and use at work? Um, well, cloth masks are better than nothing. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the CDC comes out with. Um, our friends on the East Coast, um, you know, I just talked with a friend who's a, a cardiothoracic surgeon in New York, and he said, mask everyone, you know, that's something that we should have done earlier. I think it would have made a difference. Um, so uh, cloth masks, while healthcare professionals, we're not recommending for us to use them in our environment, but they're great for patients, for visitors, for people who aren't in as much of a kind of risk setting. Um, our uh, face shield, so you need eye protection, so you don't get droplets in your eyes. Um, so a lot of those 3D printing companies and things like that are making some eye shields, and those will be the easiest thing to kind of um, meet standards because they basically just have to be impermeable and cover your face. Um, so um, masks, yeah. Uh, really, the big thing is, you know, what can you make that works well that can be mass produced? Um, so uh, homemade things I think are, can work. They're just usually not in large quantities. That's really helpful when you think from a system standpoint. And I think, um, it's important to, uh, to, to make the masks. I'm surprised that as a country, we do not have a mask order. This is a respiratory disease that is spread via droplet. Um, and I think one of the things that is important to know is that unless it is a true N95 that has been tested and, and, you know, fitted to your face, the mask itself may or may not protect you. It is better than nothing. Yes. Um, but the, the point of the mask in, in the general population, like when you're going to the grocery store is to protect you from spreading virus to other people. So it's really kind of an altruistic theory that if we all wear masks, then those of us who are infected and asymptomatic are not spreading the disease. Um, we are, we are therefore taking care of our fellow, you know, our, our fellow humans. Um, the, if, if you have medical supplies, I would say take them to the hospital, uh, because we have in Oklahoma, thankfully we are, we are, lucky to have what we need for right now. Uh, when the virus peaks here, I don't know what that will look like. Hopefully by that point, uh, the, the um, places that are manufacturing medical grade masks will have really ramped up that, that manufacturing and distribution. Um, but for the regular masks, I think it's, it's a really great thing um, to at least get into the hands of people for day-to-day -day use. Uh, one of my neighbors actually brought some that I use anytime I go to the grocery store. I wore it today to the church to weigh palm branches. I wore it um, to go get gas. I had to run into the gas station to pay. And um, I, I wear that mask because I don't know what I am carrying. And if someone coughs directly on me, although it is not foolproof, it's not gonna be 100%, it still decreases my chance of becoming infected. A mask also keeps you from touching your face as much. Well, that's evidence-based reason to wear a mask while you're out yeah. or at home. Oh, really? Wearing at home too, huh? 
Okay. <laughs> like, wow. Master. Put them on my Only if you love your family. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, great. Um, so before we get to the to the hope question that we, we generally ask, and I'm, I'm finding is more and more important as we move through this, um, what are, are – we talked about it earlier a little bit, but could you guys both maybe point us to some – some good sources for information, but maybe also sources, uh, maybe if people want to donate, um, whether that's money or masks or food or whatever, do you guys, you guys have a good, uh, pulse on, uh, what are some good sources for people to tap into? Um, all of your nonprofits are working really hard. Regional food bank, um, is one that comes to mind just because they're going to be feeding a whole lot more people. Um, I think, uh, I know Heather and I, our hospital has a um, website dedicated to COVID that you can get information on. Um, that's very, uh, user friendly. Um, and you can donate PPE and monetary donations to any of the hospitals as well. Um, so uh, state health department uh, could use PPE donations. Um, so just supporting anybody who is supporting the community. Good stuff. Heather, anything else there? No, that's as far as the coronavirus in general, um, Katie did mention, I, I know her, her point was different, but she did mention nonprofits. Um, I do think it's important as we go through this, um, to remember our local churches, our local nonprofits who have been serving families who are now shut down due to um, proximity restrictions, um, just remember that they still need us, um, that they are still there and they are still working behind the scenes, but they can't have their, you know, their regular programming. But but places like one, um, our local church, those those places still need us to to meet them where they are and they, they need us to support them. Thank you guys for saying that. And thank you for what you're doing. I, I want you to hear me representing the church say that, that we worry about you all. Um, and, and at the same time honor, uh, and as a pastor, I feel it. I've talked with Katie enough about this and Heather, I've seen it in you and Brad both that they're, we all understand what's meant when we use the word calling. And uh, I appreciate how you guys embody your calling and it resonates. It resonates because I, I know how I'm trying at least to embody mine. And so we are very grateful for the ways that you are selfless and the way you sacrifice and how precisely with such great precision you do your jobs and, and yet are, are people of faith. Um, so thanks for what you do. We'll keep checking on you. All right, Zach. Oh, well, you want me to ask a question? Okay. Yeah, so said. what, so here was the question that, boy, we didn't do that well, did we? No. Um, so I want to know for, from each of you, tell me something and, and within, within the conversation that we're having. So here in the season of the coronavirus, tell me something that gives you hope. Heather, let's start with you. What gives you hope? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think in, in situations like this, it is always the goodwill of people, uh, people coming together, whether it's a natural disaster, um, you know, any kind of crisis, people show up and they're there and they're, they're it's just goodness of their heart, um, you know, kind of coming together. And I think that, that we are seeing that in the best way possible, um, healthcare workers who are coming out of retirement, people who are volunteering in all sorts of ways to help relieve the burden of this this pandemic. And I think that that gives me a lot of hope um, that, you know, it really is a common enemy for the globe right now. And that um, when we work together as small communities, as large communities, as we work together worldwide, things can be accomplished. And I think that that's a really encouraging thing to see rather than the dissent that we normally see um, between, you know, within our own nation and then between countries. Um, so I think that that, 
that's where my hope is. That's great. Katie, where do you see hope? Um, I think for me, there's a couple of different things. I agree completely with, with what Heather's saying. It's, it's um, really rewarding and hopeful to see people come together. Um, I think um, this pandemic has taught us about lament mm. and loss. And I think that as the people of God, being able to kind of sit with that and grieve with one another and comfort each other, um, just seeing people online or in forums come out and just, you know, hold each other's other people's grief and loss. I mean, everyone is losing things, you know, um, and it's okay to be really sad. Um, but I think it gives you hope in the body of Christ that we can continue to support one another and carry each other's burdens, um, even when we're not physically together. And then I think I have a lot of hope for um, what can be done um, in very small ways, like Heather said, um, you know, making sure someone who is a vulnerable person doesn't have to get out to the grocery store, but in big ways that um, there are people, um, friends of mine who are sitting in a lab, spending hours sacrificing their time and their health to figure out how to make a vaccine and fight this thing. And I don't think we think about that. You know, you go to the doctor's office, you get your flu shot, it should work most of the time, your kids are vaccinated, you can have medicine if you get strep throat. I mean, all these common things. Um, but I think it's, it is very hopeful to think about um, what people are doing and what we can see come out of this um, from our, our friends in, in the research and laboratory world. That's great. If you could have them to hurry up, that would be great, Katie. Thank you for being a thumb in their backs, please. If I could just add one thing, you know, Katie was talking about about the grief and the loss. Um, and I think that there's really something about acknowledging that and sitting with that and allowing yourself to have bad days. Um, and, and that's okay. This is there are parts of this that are scary for all of us. That is it is the unknown. And whether we like to admit it or not, as human beings, we don't like the unknown. Um, and as a pediatrician, I would also say for those of you who are at home quarantined with children, give your children grace. They are much more perceptive. They are much more intuitive than we give them credit for, even at a very young age. Um, so if your children are acting out, if they are emotional, um, if they are you know, making poor choices and not using their listening ears, um, that is all their human response to this. They feed off of your energy. They understand that you are stressed, that you are carrying a burden that is not normal. Their daily routine has changed. Um, and so just for the health and protection of our children, we're at home, um, you know, just, just be patient, be gentle, give yourself a timeout if you need to. Um, and then, for our children and then even for people who might not have the safest environment at home, please stay connected. And if you need help, if you need somebody, I would say reach out, whether it's to the church, whether it's to a friend, um, just make sure that you have access to people outside of your home because situations like this where we are quarantined in our homes, um, Everybody is already on edge in addition to whatever burdens and stressors they had prior to this. Um, it, it, can, it can cause some pretty, you know, um, caustic environments. And so, you know, touch base with your friends, especially, you know, if they have kids or if there is, if it's a tough situation that you know of, um, just trying to keep people safe when they are not out and about and, and it's easier to hide things. Yeah. Uh, you guys both work uh, well. John, you do a lot with prison population, and there are some efforts going on on how to keep uh, people who are incarcerated um, healthy. But all of the things we don't think about are homeless population. Um, there are people who 
their work is a way to escape from maybe a or school a violent situation at home and that's not happening anymore um, and while it can seem overwhelming and kind of paralyzing to think about all of those things, I think it, each of us has a responsibility and can do something. We can reach out, we can support organizations, we can remind people of where they can get a free breakfast or lunch for their child, you know. Um, and so if we're educated and right-minded and hopeful, we can pass that along and be the helpers. Great stuff, you guys. This is this has been really helpful. I think I think folks will be helped by what we've talked about today. So now let's get a little bit ridiculous. Right. So uh, now is the part of the show where we move to rapid fire questions. We have not prepared you guys in any way, have we, or have we not? That's a no. No. That's a no. <laughs> no. Not sure why I asked that. I've literally never asked anybody that before in my life. <laughs> really? I don't know. Like... That was weird. I don't know why I did that. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. It's getting to me. <laughs> COVID's getting to me right now. Um, so uh, these are stream of consciousness. They can. Uh, they might be really simple or they might be ridiculous. Yep. But we're going to, you know, age before beauty, age before beard. Okay. We're going to start with John. Okay, each of you, as quickly as you can, um, and we'll start with Katie. She's on the screen right now. Your least favorite TV medical show. Ready, go. Oh, what a great question. Oh. Um, there's one, I don't know, New Amsterdam? I don't know. He was, yeah. like, operating on people at home. Yeah, that guy, Yeah. not a fan. Okay. <laughs> Heather? Man, I can't. Um, you know, one that I really liked at the beginning that just I I had to give it up was Grey's Grey's Anatomy. I'm sorry oh. for all you faithful followers. That's too outlandish. But you yeah. jumped but, the shark too. But you did. Like I mean, it. nobody's performing brain surgery on like a ship in the middle of the ocean. Like it's just it's not happening. <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble. I mean, are you sure? <laughs> None yeah. of those. Well, as the hurricane is coming through and like, you know, like I the Titanic is reemerging, Like it doesn't happen. I see. Nobody's having them. You know what? I'm going to make mine. I'm going to make mine Grey's Anatomy related. All right. So are you team McDreamy or team McSteamy? McDreamy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, start with you this time, Heather. Your favorite medical TV show is? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I might go with Scrubs. Oh, see, that's a Gosh, good one. Scrubs yes. so that's good. Katie. It is just so good. Like the, I mean, guys, in that one, the descent between the surgeons and the medical doctors, it's real. And it's funny. <laughs> it's good. That's that great. really happens in the hospital. Very Scrubs good. Scrubs might be the most accurate. Uh, of all the medical shows. Scrubs is my favorite as well. It um, it may uh, exaggerate a few things, but it, no. it's on point with the attitude. <laughs> and Pretty the real. Comedy. That's so. great. Um, if I'm going to, I'm going to venture out from medical TV. Oh, shows. good. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, we could do this all day, but uh, let's, let's think bigger. Uh, if uh, let's say money's no object, you know, you have all the resources in the world uh, where if you could be, and let's just say we're not in a pandemic, we're just going to make that rule right now. If you could be anywhere in the world right now on a vacation, where would you be? Um, I am a year from this summer. We'll be married for 20 years. I know hard to believe because mm. I'm not very old. Mm-hmm. Um, to Jason? Hoping to, I know. <laughs> to your first husband. <laughs> <laughs> to all my husbands. 20 years. Uh, hoping to take him to Europe. So if I could go anywhere at the moment, that's where I would be. I would fast forward in time. Nice. Um, gosh, this is hard. My list is so long. Um, I would say maybe New Zealand. Ooh, Ooh that is a good one. I always wanted to go there. Anywhere. Yeah. Like anywhere besides Oklahoma. Okay. Fair. Speaking of exotic destinations, uh, your favorite fast food is what? <laughs> Taco Bell. Boom. Mm. Definitely. Yep. Yep. Katie, favorite fast food? 
I am uh, super into Freddy's. Ooh. Um, yeah. Freddy's. Heather just changed her answer. Steak burgers, man. <laughs> I have. Not for the food, but for the custard. <laughs> Boom. Um, let's see. Uh, what would be the best sport to watch if all of the players were babies? Katie. Um, to watch if all the players were babies. Uh, maybe something that would be really impossible, like volleyball. You know, like a teeny. <laughs> and they're trying to be really. <laughs> sand volleyball would be. <laughs> Especially sand There's volleyball. There's sand in my diaper. <laughs> oh, or sand in their little diapers. Oh, it'd be awful. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to go the extreme opposite. I would say ice hockey. <laughs> Trying to like block the net, you know. Like, are they skating? Like, like, are they able to skate? Yes. Oh. Yeah, we're babies, throwing them so out there like with blades on their feet and uh, a weapon. At least in my head. <laughs> their feet are now weapons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Heather, you are a harpist. People may not know that, but name a musical instrument that you can't play that you really wish you could. The upright bass. Oh, the slap in that bass. The upright bass. Some like it. Jazz. Katie, what about you? An instrument I like that the you. Big re- instrument, apparently. <laughs> oh, the oh, an instrument that you really wish you knew how to play. Oh, um, I'm going to say the violin because that is what Berkeley plays. So maybe she would ask me to be in uh, like her band. <laughs> her band, her violin TikTok band. <laughs> you know, that was very topical, John. <laughs> Thank you. The kids are going to love this. Yeah, they are. I'm trying to reach, you know, the young ones. The young ones. Yeah. Uh, what was? Uh, we'll go with Heather. What was the first CD that you ever purchased for yourself? Um, first CD. Yeah. I remember my first cassette tape. That'll work, there too. There you go. That'll work, too. Uh, my first cassette tape was Garth Brooks. Was it Outside the Lines? Oh. Was standing Outside the Fire one? Yeah, that one. Outside the, yeah, that was mine. Standing That's a good one. Outside the Fire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Katie? Um, I'm not sure if it was a CD. It may have been a tape, but I remember... Um, Using my very own money to buy like jars of clay. Jars of clay. I still uh, listen so to that. What to jars of clay? I still listen to that same jars of clay album that she's talking about. I still have it. That's cool. Yeah, thank you. That's good. It's an eight track. Oh, yeah. thanks for leaving us that. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Hey, this is my last one for you guys. Um, if you each could tell me a pet name you have for your spouse that your spouse would rather us not know. That would be great. We have to keep it clean, however. McDreamy. McDreamy. Hey. <laughs> Is that your final answer? No. Uh, I, I can't think of anything. No sugar lips made. or anything like we, that? We can bleep anything that we need to bleep. Um... No, I just call him Babe. I'm sorry. That's classic. really disappointing. That's classic. That's fine. Well, that's no, that's okay. That's right. We'll write it down. Katie? Um, yeah, I don't have anything that I that he wouldn't necessarily want me to not share. I do. I, babe is a popular one at our house as well. Um, or uh, sometimes I go with Smitty, uh, which is uh, one of his favorite nicknames. Smitty's so. a good one. Maybe maybe each of you could think of something that you want to start calling your spouses that they that they would not want you to tell us. I don't know. I mean, just you can write that in, and we'll just add that to the next podcast yeah, or something. We'll just add an addendum. I've got one last question. That's a lot of pressure. I'm gonna I, need some time to think about. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You can just write it in. I've got one last one. Uh, if you uh, could own your own yacht, what would you name your yacht? Oh, I got mine. Okay. Uh, backstory is uh, there is another Katie Smith who works 
closely with me. So I have now been affectionately termed the OG Smith. <laughs> the OG Smith. Him. There you go. The OG <laughs> Smith. So, uh, yes. And um, so the, uh, the, the OB and OG, which is actually on my Peloton uh, app too. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna name my vote the OB and OG. The OB and OG. I like it, <laughs> Heather. Man, I have never dreamed of having a yacht. Um, uh, I got nothing, guys. Um, Perhaps you could name your yacht whatever the most embarrassing name is that you're going to start calling your husband. That, yeah, let's go for that. I'll write it in. I'll write <laughs> yes. it in. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow up. <laughs> Sounds good. Sorry, that's really just I, – I just have lots of disappointing answers today. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's just not true at all. <laughs> that's okay. It's all good. It's been a great podcast. No, hey, thank you guys so much for, for hopping on uh, the internets to talk with uh, a couple of tall pastors about health. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thanks for having us. It was fun. All right, John. I'll see you later, man. All right, buddy. See you.